Hello, and welcome to Become a Competent Biblical Counselor. My name is Dr. Dave Jones, and this is our second episode in which we help you to take on the responsibility that God has given you and the ability to be a biblical counselor. Let me start off by saying, first of all, I want to read a piece of scripture to you. Romans 15, 14 in the Williams translation says very clearly, as far as I am concerned about you, my brothers, I am convinced that you especially are abounding in the highest goodness, richly supplied with perfect knowledge and competent to counsel one another. Oh, and that's not all. The New Testament itself commands believers to admonish one another in Romans 15. And how about encourage one another in Hebrews 3? Comfort one another with these words in 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another and build up one another in 1 Thessalonians 5. And what about confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed in James 5. So if we have all of these permissions to counsel one another, why don't we do that? What is the holdup? Why are we sending people with spiritual problems to so-called professionals with secular solutions? We're going to get into that a little bit today. In our first episode, I gave you my story, my struggle to victory, and how that came to be. And what's interesting about the fact that it is my story, the question I have for you is, what is your story? We all have a story. We all can look back and say, yep, I did this, I had this happen, I had this. I had to go through this, I had some medical issues, I had some psychological issues, I had all kind. you name it, you know what I'm talking about. Well, how did you handle that? Did you handle it medically? Did you handle it with friends? Did you handle it with counseling? What is your story? And how successful were you and what was the means that you utilized in order to get to that point. I get excited about telling my story because it was so traumatic for me. Oh yeah, at the time it really was. But I look back now and I look just through the way that God got me through that. He taught me how to apply his scripture to my life and I was able to not only develop a career with biblical counseling, um, I was able to share that story over and over and help people to realize that they have a story as well. Over 40 years I've been doing this, and um, that's after I received a Master's of Theology in Pastoral Counseling and a Ph.D. in Christian Counseling with an emphasis in Biblical Counseling. I thought, you know what, why can't other people do the same thing that I'm doing? The Bible says they can. They don't have to be trained. They don't have to be experiencing many, many years of counseling one another, they can do it now. You can do it now. And you can do it with your story. You know, today we have so many people sitting in our pews that are really hurting. And sometimes they come to church expecting to get a blessing. Maybe somebody, maybe the pastor, maybe somebody in the choir will sing a song or the pastor will say something that will give me hope for the day. I just want hope. In the meantime, there might be some other people in the pews that would just love to help people. They don't know what to say. They don't know how, what to do. They don't know how to counsel. And so they don't. We've got a great big gap between those who need and those who want to help. 
So let's get into so let's get into looking at the opportunities that we have to be biblical counselors. We have something going on in our churches and our culture now, the difference between biblical counseling and Christian counseling. Many times when I tell people that I'm a biblical counselor, I get a blank look as if I have just spoken a foreign language. People have just no idea what I mean when I say biblical counselor. Oh yeah, they know what Christian counseling is all about. Unfortunately, what we have, we have Christians who are counseling, but unfortunately they've been trained in the secular world. I've looked at a few counseling centers here in the southeast in Georgia and Florida, and I've looked at the biographies of the counselors at these various centers, and it's astonishing to me that there is no mention at all of utilization of scripture, of their statement of belief, uh, but they're very trained, very well trained in the secular psychological philosophies that the world has to offer. So no wonder people who go to the pastor and say, can I get some, some counseling? I'm having an issue. Well, unfortunately, pastors, a lot of pastors are not trained in counseling. Our seminaries and our Bible schools just don't put a lot of emphasis on that. They encourage their pastors that people should be referred to the professionals, the people who can really handle these delicate and very sensitive issues. Well, well, that's not what the Bible has to say about it. It's very clear that we are competent to counsel one another. So let me give you some additional information relative to how to use the Bible in counseling. Scriptural application is very, very important. And that is what helped me with my story. And then there are very many people that I talked to over the past number of years all over the country. And it's very easy. A lot of times we'll read the Bible, but we just don't look at it from a life-living opportunity. For example, the Apostle Paul and others tell us to do this, put this off, put this on, stop this, stop that. Walk this way. Don't be with these kind of people. And you need to look at those particular admonishments and encouragements as commands. Let me give you an example. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So let's stop right there. Two words. Rejoice. Rejoice. Not a conditional statement not a suggestion. Look at them as commands. In other words, whether you feel like it or not, rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. And he was so important, he said it, and I will say again, rejoice. So look at the commands. Here's another one, the very next sentence. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Another command. Why? Why let your gentleness be no evident to all? <laughs> Very next sentence. The Lord is near. Verse 6. Another command. Do not be anxious about anything. Period. Stop and think about that for a minute. Don't be anxious. All right, so if I'm not going to be anxious, what am I supposed to do? Well, keep reading the verse. And it says, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
There's an action statement right there. Again, another opportunity to look at it as a command, but in every situation. What he means here with respect to prayer, petition, requests, are three different ways of praying. You pray in generalities, you pray in detail, and you pray in specifics. So, rewind a little bit. Go back to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Commands. Let your gentleness be evident to the lo- to all. Command. Do not be anxious about anything. Command. What to do in every situation, prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, if you do those things, the very next verse is the result. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, there's a dynamic and a formula that we like to use. It's called thoughts equals actions equals feelings. Too many times we're living our lives based upon how we feel. We even ask each other, so how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good or I'm feeling lousy or whatever. The point that needs to be made with respect, especially to biblical counseling, is you start with your thoughts then you act. You do. Whether you feel like it or not, you do. And what happens later on, the very next result is your feelings. You want to change your feelings? Change your thoughts. Change your actions. To that point, look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, get this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is it, is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Catch these four words. Think about such things. Period. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. See, there's the doing. There's the action. Put it into practice. Another command. Why? With the result? And the God of peace will be with you. I use this passage of Scripture quite frequently because it very clearly points out the fact that these are not conditional statements. These are not suggestions. Paul is really saying, do this, do this, do this. And if you do this, and if you do this, this is what the result's going to be. And then he goes into even more detail with respect to whatever is true and noble and right, pure, lovely, admirable. Those are not just all... There is. There are many, many more you can add to that. But the point is, he wants you to think on these things. He wants you, there's the action. He wants you to do these things, whether you feel like it or not. A lot of times we go to church on Sunday and we're, we feel like we're very spiritual on Sunday, but what about Thursday? How do you feel on Thursday? How do you, what are you doing on Thursday? Many times I will call my counselees after a session and I will, I never ask them how they're feeling. I always ask him, so what have you been doing? What have you been doing relative to what we discussed yesterday? What are you not doing? What have you stopped doing? I'm more concerned about your thought processes and your actions than how you feel. And scripturally, that's how it lines up. Understand this, a lot of people also in the church who want to be counselors will say, oh, well, I don't know which scripture to use. I don't know which ones not to use. I don't know which ones are appropriate. You know what? What I just 
showed you relative to these final exhortations that Paul was giving in this letter to the, to the Philippians, you can find many, many, many verses to use in a given situation. What is God laying on your heart to use with respect to this particular problem that you're confronted with? The most important person in a counseling situation is the Holy Spirit. There will be times I'll go into a counseling situation and I'll sit and I'll start listening. I just listen to begin with. And I'll say to the Holy Spirit, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about here. I have no idea how I'm supposed to respond to this. But I listen and I listen. And I could be into a counseling session 15, 20 minutes and still have no idea where I'm going with this. And all of a sudden, pow, there it is. Wow. And I had not even thought about that. But God will lead me to a totally different example scripturally to share with that counselee of what happened in this person's life in the Bible that they could utilize in their own situation. It's exciting to do that. And then when you get finished with the counseling situation, you, you can reevaluate, well, how did I do? How did it? No, the important thing is, wow, God really spoke to me with that and really allowed me to share that information with the person who was struggling. And later on, like I said before, I will call them on the phone. I'll say, so, what have you been doing? And uh, one, day, one day, a lady you know, called because she said her, her daughter thought she was depressed and she needed counseling. And I said, so, are you depressed? She says, well, I'm a little down. I said, are you, are you just sad or are you depressed? She says, I'm just a little sad. And I said, well, so tell me about your day. What, what, do you, what have you been doing? And she told me that she you know, watch TV, and she read the newspaper. I said, well, how clean is your house? She says, what? I said, well, how clean is your house? Well, I could do some cleaning. I said, how about the laundry? Said, well, yeah, that too. I said, let me tell you what. Why don't you take the next couple of hours and just go through the house and just tidy it up, do the dishes, do the laundry, dust, vacuum, all that stuff, and I'll call you and see how you're doing. She says, okay. A couple hours later, I called her, and I said, so... What you been doing? She says, I can't talk to you right now. And I said, well, why, why? She says, I'm too busy cleaning my house. And then she just laughed. She says, I feel so great cleaning my house. You see, the point was God gave her a responsibility. He gave her that home to live in, to take care of. And she just didn't feel like it, which caused her daughters to say, you know, Mom, you need, you need some help. No, mom, all mom needed to do is just get up and say, you know, God, you gave me this house to take care of and I'm not doing it. Ask for his forgiveness and get busy. Show a difference in living your life from a feeling-oriented structure to a action-oriented. And the more she got involved with cleaning her house, the better she felt. So you see, feelings are always last. So you can use your own story in providing hope and encouragement to people as a result of what you have done and achieved in your life by encouraging them to do the same thing, but to do it God's way, not yours. I hope today's episode was an encouragement to you, something that you maybe hadn't considered before, but you can do this. It's your responsibility. You are competent to counsel. You do have a story. And one other thing with respect to your story, if you did not get results in handling the story that, that God allowed you to go through, if you did not handle it biblically, then you have a story now, I know you do, 
that you should handle it biblically. Do that. If you tried to handle your story in the past and, and, and just struggled and somehow got through it, okay. But the important thing is you've gone through some things that other people are going through too, and other people need that help and that hope that you provide. Stand up and provide it. You are competent. You have a great story. You can help people. So do it. Have a great day, and we'll see you on the next episode.